Are you a scaling SaaS founder? Ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel Podcast, where our festive plans are as carefully orchestrated as the Griswold family Christmas. Ambitious, a little over the top, and full of heart. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I help B2B SaaS founders like you scale from seven figures, which is good, to eight and nine figures, which is outstanding. Together, we supercharge revenue growth, create premium valuation, and craft the business you're proud of and a life of impact and freedom that you love. Have you ever heard about the Christmas Miracle on Maple Street? It's not the movie Miracle on 34th Street. Christmas Miracle on Maple Street. Well, it all started with a couple, Emily and David. And this isn't the Emily we know now. This was before she became the unofficial mayor of Maple Street. Here's how it happened. A number of years ago, the Saturday after Thanksgiving, a moving truck shows up at the house down the street. Somebody new is moving in. And the following weekend, Emily and David are out for a walk, and their new neighbor is outside getting the mail, and they have a conversation. They meet Tom. It's a brief conversation, but find out your know, job relocation. He's an IT guy, same as David. Thanksgiving transition, so he didn't have to use any extra vacation days. Hey, interesting. A little reserved, maybe a little standoffish, vague, but Emily kind of gets the hunch that Tom is gearing up for a solo Christmas, which, you know, let's be honest, that can be tougher than trying to untangle last year's Christmas lights. Emily and David are feeling a little bit of that themselves. They're empty nesters and their only son, Matt, is on active duty with the Marines and deployed this year. But here's the kicker. Emily and David decide to invite Tom over for Christmas dinner. Just like that. Yeah, imagine the guts, right? It's like inviting a complete stranger to crash your family reunion. But Emily's got this sixth sense for kindness and maybe she's just nosy, but in the best possible way. So fast forward to Christmas and Tom shows up looking as awkward as a reindeer in a swimsuit. But as the night rolls on, you wouldn't believe the transformation. The guy is a hoot. He's cracking jokes, sharing wild stories from back home. And, and get this, he even does a mean impression of Will Ferrell in Elf. The room is buzzing like a beehive, full of laughter and chatter. And Emily and David have seen how this whole thing turned Tom's holiday around. They have this light bulb moment. Like, why stop at Tom? So next year, Matt's back home on leave from the Marines, and, and Emily starts inviting more of those strangers uh, there's uh, Mrs. Johnson down the street, bakes cookies like a wizard. We probably all know uh, somebody like that, uh, or at least we should. Uh, it's kind of a, a lost art these days, maybe. Chris, a, a college student who's studying miles away from his family. And of course, Tom is back again, too. And each person brings a piece of their world to the table. But now here's where it gets really interesting. This little dinner tradition of Emily's starts growing. I mean, like a snowball rolling downhill. And before you know it, it's not just a dinner. It's the event of the season on Maple Street. So years go by and Emily and David keep inviting, keep hosting. And this hodgepodge of guests starts feeling like less random people and more like family. 
relationships form, friendships are forged. And life happens to different people in the group. Some come and go and, you know, good things happen, bad things happen, but they're there for each other, not just at Christmas time, but throughout the year, through thick and thin. It's like they've created their own holiday movie, but, you know, less drama and more pie. Both good things. So why do they call it the Christmas Miracle on Maple Street? Well, it turns out that Emily's kindness didn't just change their Christmases. It changed their lives, different backgrounds, different stories, different circumstances. And this ragtag bunch found a place where they fit perfectly imperfect. And it's all because Emily simply decided to set a few extra plates on her table. And we're having a conversation. I was like, why? what, What was the why behind that? And Emily and David both said, yeah, it's really, really simple. So, you know, it's a way to demonstrate the love of Jesus in a practical way. And what better way to honor the real meaning of Christmas? It's like, wow, that's pretty cool. Now, some people love the holidays and others just endure them. And a lot of people are somewhere in between. But wherever you are on that spectrum, you know, I think there's a little bit of Emily in all of us, especially if you're a leader. And we can choose to focus inward or we can focus outward. You know, who do you know who could use a friend? Who do you see, but maybe you don't know? Kindness is free to give and priceless to receive. You know, I've been one of those strangers at the table, and sometimes the best gifts are the ones we don't expect sitting right next to us at the dinner table. But no sponsor today. The world is commercial enough, especially over the, the last month or so. Just an encouragement, maybe a little bit of a challenge to do something unexpected for someone else. Could be big, could be small, whatever. Just make someone's day. Could be a gift, it could be a tip, pay for somebody's order in the drive-thru behind you, or just a smile. It's funny, sometimes I set a goal to make 10 random people smile. It's crazy, but it's pretty fun. And you can get pretty creative in that. Sometimes it's just smiling, sometimes it's a compliment. But uh, you know, just making 10 random people smile, it's just fun to do. So get out there, go make some smiles, make somebody's day, do something for somebody else. Little challenge. Our founder on Tuesday was Jonathan Fields. He is the CEO and co-founder of Assembly. We talked about unconditional ways to build a SaaS, innovations, and employee engagement, which is more and more important, especially in this remote world that we live in. And our expert guest last week was A.J. Wilcox from b to Link. AJ demystified LinkedIn ads and how you can use LinkedIn ads as a starting point to show up everywhere. My favorite thing that he talked about was the default ad settings that will kill your campaign effectiveness. (laughs) Such good, such good content. But if you missed either one of those episodes, go back and download them. Hey, if you're traveling, download a few episodes and listen to them on the road. My guest today is Phil Johnson, founder and CEO of the Master of Business Leadership Program. It is the catalyst behind 31 years of entrepreneurial and executive success stories, boasting billions in career revenue, spanning continents from the U.S. to Europe and Asia, Master of Business Leadership alumni are a global testament to Phil's transformative leadership vision. Welcome, Phil Johnson. Hey, Phil. Welcome to SaaS Fuel. Uh, thanks, Jeff. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be on your show. 
Well, I'd love for you to tell me a little bit about uh, your work in emotional intelligence and how you help people develop that. What is it and uh, how do we develop it? <laughs> great, great question. <laughs> um, how much time do we have? Um, Forever to develop it, so, maybe. So I've been working with uh, executives and entrepreneurs for the last 31 years, uh, helping them to, uh, to succeed by developing their emotional intelligence. Very simply... Emotional intelligence is the ability to feel the fear and anxiety that change triggers in us uh, and be able to move through it towards what it is we're trying to achieve, as opposed to allowing that fear and anxiety to keep us stuck in our comfort zone. So in that process um, of doing what I call the emotional labor of moving through our fear, not only do we develop emotional intelligence, um, but we become more inspirational leaders we become more conscious of what's going on in us and around us, which leads to higher levels of trust and engagement, which creates career, personal, and corporate success. So there is a, a pretty strong link then between emotional intelligence and or high emotional intelligence and the success. Is that correct? Yeah. There was a 40-year study done at UC Berkeley uh, comparing IQ with EQ, um, and they concluded that emotional intelligence was 400% more valuable in determining success than intellectual intelligence. Uh, wow. So it's, a, um, it's hugely important. Matter of fact, uh, IQ without EQ has consistently proven to be quite destructive. Why is that? Because without emotional intelligence, we're increasingly controlled by our, by our fear, by our ego-based fear. And um, see, we don't like change. We have both a biological and a sociological resistance to change. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter whether the change is a good change or bad change. We don't like change, and we're actually facing a tsunami of rapidly accelerating global change. Um, and we really need to be developing our emotional intelligence to be able to uh, feel the fear. That that's going to trigger in us and be able to uh, move through it uh, rather than having that fear control us. So why does change produce that in us? What is it about change that that really sparks that fear? Great question. Um, there's two biological sources of resistance we have to change and one sociological source. Let me just kind of skip through it. Whenever we take an action that moves us outside of our comfort zone, as a part of our old lizard brain, that doesn't want us to do that. So it automatically triggers a release of a hormone into our bloodstream called cortisol. And that cortisol causes the executive center of our brain to shut off. And we go into what psychologists refer to as a as an amygdala hijack. Some people lash out, some people run away, some people freeze like a deer in a headlights. When that happens in conflict situations, people die. When it happens in business or personal situations, relationships die. We burn trust. So as an analogy, if you think of your amygdala as a very frightened four-year-old child, the development of our emotional intelligence acts like a big brother or a big sister to quiet the amygdala response down and better enable us to feel the fear and anxiety that change always triggers in us and be able to move through it towards what it is we're trying to achieve as opposed to allowing that fear to keep us trapped. Uh, the second source of resistance is our existing habits. Once we develop a habit, it's there forever. 
It's a neural network pathway we created in our brain. And although we can develop new habits at any age, it's called brain plasticity or neurogenesis, those new habits are always going to be weaker than the old habits. Because when we're younger, there's an insulation layer that goes around the neural network pathway called myelin. And it's thicker when we're younger than when we're older. So the old habits are always going to be stronger than the new habits. And there's going to be an ongoing battle internally for dominance. So that's another source of resistance. The third is sociological, meaning the people around us don't want us to change. Because if we change and start to get better results, maybe they're going to have to change. And that scares the heck out of them. And the best way to ensure they don't have to change is to make sure we fail. So they can say, look, I told you so now. Come back into the herd with the rest of us. So there's significant resistance we have to change. And the motivation for change only comes from one place. We have to have an emotional connection to a desired result that's stronger than the fear that's going to get triggered in us when we step outside of our comfort zone. That's really interesting. And right now, I mean, change is happening all around us. I think probably accelerated more than ever. And then you take, you know, on top of that, just the entrepreneurial journey, which is 100% change all the time. And the same thing is true. I mean, leading a business at every level, you're dealing with change on a constant basis. So, you know, what is it that we can do to develop our emotional intelligence? Is it something we're born with, something we can build, something yeah, we can uh, add to? Good question. Uh, emotional intelligence is not something we're born with. It's something we develop. Um, and that's different from intellectual intelligence. Um, let me kind of give you a numerical example of the value of the two. Think of intellectual intelligence as somebody giving you $10,000 a day for 31 days. So at the end of 31 days, you've got $310,000. Think of emotional intelligence as a penny that doubles in value. So day one, you have a penny. Day two, you have two pennies. Day 31, you've got $10.7 million. Day 40, you've got over $5 billion. Day 50, you've got over $5 trillion. See, not everybody can have 160 IQ. If you have a high IQ, your parents had a high IQ, their parents had a high IQ, and you simply inherited those genes, but you did nothing to develop it. Um, but everybody can develop their emotional intelligence by doing the emotional labor that requires, and the ROI is massively greater than intellectual intelligence. Um, a couple of other things to consider. Within the next, let's say, Albert Einstein had an IQ of about 160. I don't really know what it was, but let's, that's genius level IQ. Within the next two to three years, AI will have an equivalent IQ of over 1,000. Wow. Um, and it's estimated that in the next five to 10 years, there could be as many as 60% of the jobs being replaced by artificial intelligence. Um, so the determining factor for success going forward is not going to is not going to be our ability to do intellectual labor it's going to be our emotional intelligence so the so the it's going to there's going to be a dramatic shift from a focus on intellectual intelligence to emotion to a development of our emotional intelligence it's estimated that in this century we could experience the, the equivalent of 20,000 years worth of change or 200 centuries worth of change. Wow. To put that in perspective, a 10-year-old today, by the time they're 60, 
will experience the equivalent of a year's worth of change in 11 minutes. Wow. So we have a 500 million year old brain that doesn't like change. So that's going to create our resistance to change. It's going to create increasing levels of drama, chaos, and conflict in and around us. So we really need to be developing our emotional intelligence to be able to counteract that, to be able to feel the fear and anxiety that change triggers in us and move through it rather than allowing that fear to uh, to control us. So more and more companies are already starting to hire, uh, develop, and promote largely based on emotional intelligence. I'll give you an example of a company that's currently valued at over $3 trillion, and they're doing about $600 billion a year in revenue, and their primary hiring focus is emotional intelligence. And that company is Apple. And that's why when you walk into an Apple store, the energy you feel is an example of a more emotionally intelligent environment. They're not trying to sell you anything. They're trying to understand your pain and, if possible, offer a solution to your pain. Whether you buy anything or not, it's secondary to their desire to want to serve you. They want you to have a great experience. And maybe they'll tell your friends and they'll tell their friends. If you think about it, the way you feel in that environment is very different from the energy coming out of the stores surrounding that environment. So that's an example of a more emotionally intelligent environment and the level of trust and engagement that that creates. That's a fascinating stat. I mean, just thinking about the hiring process and looking for that. What would we look for in candidates if we're looking for somebody that has high emotional intelligence? How do we know? They're much calmer and uh, self-assured, and their emotional intelligence helps us to lower our walls and be more emotionally intelligent. It it helps us to be more in the present moment. So we have these, um, because we've evolved over hundreds of millions of years from herds, tribes, we've had to develop the ability to sense whether somebody's trying to help us or eat us. So we have these specialized brain cells in our prefrontal cortex that brain scientists call mirror neurons. That's why when you walk into a room, you can feel, you can sense the energy in the room. That's why when you have a conversation with somebody, you can sense whether they're trying to help you or, or hurt you. And so as we learn, as we develop our emotional intelligence, uh, we actually lower our walls, we become less resistant, judgmental, and attached to outcome. And the people around us unconsciously pick up on that and they get a sense that they can they can be more of who they truly are around you than they can be around other people. And that creates inspirational leadership and higher levels of trust and engagement. That makes a lot of sense. I mean that's what you would want on your team and, and in your leadership. Uh, because then you have authentic relationship, you have authentic communication instead of posturing or, you know, trying to, to show your, your best side all the time. To give you an idea of where we are, the current level of employee engagement worldwide, according to Gallup, is around 13 percent. Wow. Low levels of employee engagement are costing the U.S. economy alone over a trillion dollars a year, and it's increasing. So the toxic work environments that we work in are examples of the lack of emotional intelligence. The less emotionally intelligent an organization is as a whole, the more, the less engaged, the more toxic that environment is, the more drama, chaos, and conflict in that environment. Gallup has also determined that there's almost a one-to-one correlation between the level of employee engagement and the level of customer engagement. So if your employees don't feel engaged, neither will your customers. That is fascinating. 
I hadn't thought about that that translating over, but that does make sense. Let me give you one thing to think about. All purchasing decisions are emotional decisions. They're made in the limbic part of our brain. And after we make a decision, then we look for features and benefits intellectually to justify the decision we've already made emotionally. See, if somebody wants to work with you, they'll find a way to work with you, even if you don't have the best pricing or technology. Conversely, if they don't trust you, if they don't want to work with you, they'll find a way not to work with you, even if you have the best pricing and the best technology. So developing your emotional intelligence will literally enable you to outcare your competition. It will enable you to develop deeper trusted advisor relationships with the people you seek to serve than your competitors. So how do we develop that? Yeah, is it something? Do we read a book? Do we take a course? I mean, what is it that that you do? Uh, I know you work with your clients a lot on this. Uh, how do we develop our emotional intelligence and, and raise that? The main difference between emotional intelligence and intellectual intelligence is the development of emotional intelligence is an experiential process. It's not an intellectual process, meaning that you cannot develop emotional intelligence by having a conversation or reading a book or watching a video, because those are all intellectual processes. So the the development of emotional intelligence always requires an initial leap of faith, because you can only connect the dots in hindsight. And that leap of faith is usually driven by pain, driven by fear. It's driven by an urgent desire for better results. So I've I've been working with executives and entrepreneurs all over the world for the last 31 years. And invariably, as they're going through this, this Master of Business Leadership program, they said, you know, they realize that this is amazing. This is, this is incredible. And I asked them, I said, is there anything I could have said to you before you started down this path that could have prepared you for what you know now? And they always say no. They always say, there's nothing you could have told me in advance that could have helped me to understand what I understand now. See, that's the difference between knowing something intellectually and knowing something experientially. If you don't know it experientially, you don't really know it. You just think you do. That's why a lot of people know a lot of things intellectually that's not translated into their behavior. That's not translated into their results. And that's where the development of emotional intelligence comes in. No, that's really good. I'm a huge fan of experiential learning. And I think you're exactly right. I mean, just because you, you read a book, you may have knowledge, but it doesn't mean that you've applied the knowledge. doesn't mean that you're actually doing that. Yeah, the real that, that happens all the time the in rubber, business. Where the, where, the, where the rubber meets the road is in the application of knowledge, not the acquisition of knowledge. And this is where our educational employment system has failed us because it's focused on our ability to do intellectual labor and has done nothing to develop our emotional intelligence. So if we want to do that today, what are some things that that we should be thinking about or things that we can do experientially to raise our EQ or our EI? Learn to lower our walls. Let me explain what that means. Okay, so what I'm about to say may sound like Swahili to many of of our listeners, uh, but I can assure you and I've been proving this for the last three decades all over the world. It involves energy physics. So here goes. And I'll give you an example of what I'm about to say. We're only actually conscious about 3 to 5% of the time. The rest of the time, we're relying on our 
unconscious habits to drive the bulk of our behavior and results. And that's fine. But when we're born, we're not born with a conscious mind. We don't start to become conscious until we're about a year or so old. But we are born with an unconscious mind, and we immediately start wiring up our brain, creating those neural network pathways that become our habits in order to survive, fit in, get food, all that kind of stuff. And a lot of those habits unconsciously cause us to give away our energy. And we do it in lots of different ways, how we communicate, listen, take responsibility, make decisions, all sorts of ways. Now, when we're giving away our energy, it creates an energy deficit in us. So at the same time, we're unconsciously giving away our energy over here. We need to be replacing that energy by trying to steal energy from other people over here. And that dynamic is going on inside of everybody, everywhere, all over the world, all the time, unconsciously. And that is the root cause of all drama, chaos, conflict, war. So what I do in the NBL program as I show people how they're unconsciously giving away their energy, and I give them better habits and practice to stop doing that. And when they stop giving away their energy, their need to steal the energy of other people goes away because they don't need it. And it's in that process that they're developing their emotional intelligence, they're becoming more inspirational leaders, they're raising their level of consciousness about what's going on in them and around them, they're distancing themselves from their ego-based fears, which leads to higher levels of trust and engagement, which guarantees, and I want to underline, guarantees career, personal, and corporate success. So those are all the outcomes of learning to stop giving away your energy. So let me give you an example of how we do that, how, how one of the many ways we're doing that unconsciously Constantly. This is actually the second MBL habit called uh, authentic listening. And the key to authentic listening is not to take anything personally. How somebody feels about you, whether they like you or whether they don't, has nothing to do with you. It has to do with what's going on inside of them. It has to do with what's going on inside of the other person. But if how you feel about yourself is based on how somebody else feels about you, who's running your life? You or them. Oh, well, it's them, yeah. right? Yes. We're unconsciously giving away our energy to them to determine how we should feel about ourselves. You know, if you like me, I like me. If you don't like me, I don't like me. Now, as crazy as that might sound, what I've just described is all of social media. Yes. We bend over backwards to get people to like us so we can feel better about ourselves. So that's just one example of how we're giving away our energy. And keep in mind when we're doing that, that energy deficit it's creating in us is causing us to steal energy from other people, often their family members, people close to us, people we work with, customers. We don't care. We'll steal energy from anybody that will give it to us. And that's the, that creates the toxicity. That creates the low levels of engagement we see everywhere. It's energy physics. So we're giving that away. We're really giving away our power in, in that exactly. sense you know, to other people. Exactly. And instead of really owning our own lives. Correct. And we're all doing it. Everybody on, the, everybody on the planet is doing it all the time. And that's why we live in the world we live in. And that's so how do we change that? One person at a time. One organization at a time. One country at a time.
Yeah, definitely something that uh, that we need in the world. So that energy deficit. So how do we do that with our our people and you know really develop our team and help them raise their emotional intelligence? How do we become that inspirational leader you're talking about? It starts out. They have to, they have to be able to identify. They have to have a strong emotional connection to something they want to achieve that's greater than the fear that's going to get generated in them when they step outside of their comfort zone in pursuit of that desired result. So that that emotional connection to the vision of a desired result they want to achieve becomes the fuel for the journey. Without that fuel, change is impossible. So it always starts, they have to have an urgent desire for better results than they're currently getting. And what, then, what creates that desire? Is it something that comes from inside or is it oh, yeah, uh, your yeah, vision no. from the leadership? No, no. It has to come from inside the individual. And you're actually alluding to a great point. So there's, there's the individual has to have a vision of what they're trying to achieve. And obviously the organization has a vision for what it's trying to achieve. The reason it's in business. So those two have to align. And the more that they're aligned, the higher the level of engagement. Um, if they're not aligned, there'll be a very low level of engagement. So we have to A, understand why we're walking through the front door in the morning or whatever, wherever we're going. What's, what, it, what is it we're trying to achieve? And how is my success related to the success of the organization? How is, how is achieving my vision or how is achieving the organizational vision going to help me to achieve my personal vision? So those two have to be aligned. Think of them like, think of an organization as, a, as the engine in a car and um, the employees as the pistons in that engine. The more those two visions are aligned, the smoother the engine runs. Less oil, less gas, uh, the less they're aligned. Uh, the less efficient that engine runs. So you need to have an organizational vision, a passionate, an emotional connection to achievement of the of the organizational vision, but you also need to have a passionate vision of what it is you're trying to achieve. What do you want to achieve? And how are they connected? And that's where we really need that employee engagement. That's how we find it, I guess, is is in that they see, you know, their what they want. And how they can achieve that within the scope of the, the company vision. So they're, they're part of something bigger than themselves. A lot of times you have to help the employee develop that emotional connection to what it is they're trying to achieve uh, personally. Because lots of people really don't know what that is. See, when, So the fundamental question is, what do you want? See, when somebody tells you what they want, they're also telling you what they don't have. And the bigger the gap between where they are versus where they want to be, the more motivated they are to look for a solution to close that gap. So you need that motivation. So you need to be able to help them make that connection to identify, not just on an intellectual level, but more importantly, on an emotional level, why they're in the organization. How is the organization's success going to help, going to help them to achieve their personal success? So is that a question that we ask in the interview process is, you know, why do you want to be a, a part of the organization? Or is that Absolutely. something that develops over time as they see where they fit? Yeah. Why, why are you, why are you, why do you want to join this organization? You know, what can you teach us? What is it you want? What is it you bring? They're really important things. Yeah. So in developing emotional intelligence, is this something that happens? Is it slow at first? Like you said, you know, and that's not the $10,000 a day. It's a penny at a time and it adds up. So does it start kind of slow and then it builds? 
or it really does. Yeah, that's, it a, that's a great question, Jeff. We don't know what we don't know. So it does initially the motivation is that sense of urgency to achieve a desired result. So the motivation to begin the process is usually pain. But as the people start to go through the process and start to get better results and start to become more conscious of what's going on in them and around them, that becomes the motivation. So the motivation actually changes from a motivation based on fear to get away from something to a motivation based on passion to move towards a desired result. So there are executives I've been working with, in some cases for over 14 years, consistently, um, because the ROI keeps getting greater and greater and greater and greater um, as they practice these habits. The ROI never ends. Oh, that makes sense. 14 years, that's a, a long time. And from the outside, somebody may look at that and go, is this person, you know, did they just not get it? But I think it's the opposite for emotional intelligence is it's something that the deeper you get in, the more you realize how much you need it. And the more you realize that the awareness is there, that you don't have what you yeah. need. You need to continue to develop. Know, the more you think you know, yes. the, more you know the, the more you know you don't know. Uh, there's one executive that I've been working with for a little less than a year, and the ROI in their investment is over 25 times. Wow. The revenue they've been able to generate in the hundreds of thousands of dollars is over 25 times their initial investment, and we're just getting started. I've helped organizations generate billions of dollars in revenue and people advance in their careers, but that's only a small part of it. Uh, I've got lots of YouTube video testimonials of executives that have gone through the MBL journey that describe how it's not only helped them in their careers and in their businesses, but in their personal lives. It helps everything get better. Yeah, because it touches everything. Every decision we make is an emotional decision. So it all ties back to that same thing, raise emotional intelligence, and you're affecting every single one of those decisions. The more you look, the more emotionally intelligent you are, not only do you benefit, but everybody you come in contact benefits. The less emotionally intelligent you are, the more of a negative impact it has on you, but it also has a negative impact on everybody you come in contact with. It's called emotional contagion. So tell me so more about that. We tend to attract the frequency. Emotions, every emotion has a unique energy frequency associated with it. And when our walls are up, when, when we lack emotional intelligence, when we're becoming less, we're more resistant, judgmental, and attached to outcome, those are the people we tend to attract into our lives. So a contagion, like a virus. When we lower our walls, when we, when we learn to stop giving away our energy, we become less resistant, less judgmental, less attached to outcome. Those are the kind of people we attract into our lives, uh, and people that, that want what we have, that, that see our behavior and results. And they say, you know, I want that too. So it, it inspires them uh, to get on the path of developing their own emotional intelligence. So we don't exist in isolation. Our behavior not only affects us, our emotions not only affects us, but it affects the emotions of people that we come in contact with. So we can do that either in a, in a, in a positive way or a negative way. But either way, we're, we're not, we're not 
living in isolation. So it's called emotional contagion. Uh, that is interesting. But what is uh, one way that we could protect ourselves from the energy vampires? And then at the same time, what are ways that we can make sure that we're not becoming one of those energy vampires and stealing from other people? Go through the MBL program. <laughs> Learn to become you have to you have to gradually become more conscious of how you're giving away your energy and you have to start developing the habits that enable you to stop doing that. There is no other way. Emotional the development of our emotional intelligence isn't a solution to the challenges we're facing. It's the only solution to the challenges we're facing. It's a huge part of our development that's missing. It's the next stage in our evolution as a species. And so what happens if we don't develop emotional intelligence? We go extinct this century. In relative terms, humanity has been on the planet for less than half of one second. And in that time, we've destroyed the climate. There isn't a single other species on the planet that wouldn't be better off if humanity didn't exist. We're dealing with things like CRISPR-Cas9, genetic technology, AI, climate change, other pandemics. And we really need... The the emotional intelligence to be able to face those challenges effectively with our walls down and, and turn them into opportunities for better results. Without the development of our emotional intelligence, because of the accelerating rate of global change, we're going to experience increasing levels of drama, chaos, and conflict everywhere. We'd, we're at a tipping point as a species. We need to change our trajectory dramatically in the next 10 to 15 years. And it's going to be extremely uncomfortable because we don't like change. But that's also the opportunity for us. It's, it's the opportunity. Companies like Apple are thriving because of the realization they have of the importance of emotional intelligence. And more and more organizations and individuals are recognizing that as well. So that's the direction the development of our emotional intelligence is the, is the future of individual and organization change, period. I believe it. Me too. Yeah, something that's so, so important that, uh, that we get right. So tell me about uh, the Master of Business Leadership. You said it's part of the solution, so let's talk about that. Well, it's a, it's initially it's a 13-week program, um, and basically uh, I show people how they're giving away their energy and I give them better habits to practice to stop doing that, and we track their actions and results so they can see how their results are improving using these habits. And they're becoming more aware. They're becoming more conscious. See, we cannot get better results than our current level of consciousness. Whatever results we're getting today is a reflection of our current level of consciousness. If we want better results than we're currently getting, we have to raise our level of consciousness, period. So however somebody's behaving and the results they're getting are simply a reflection of their current level of consciousness. So learning to stop giving away our energy will raise our level of consciousness about what's going on in us and around us, and that will guarantee better results in our careers, okay. in our personal life, and in our businesses. Well, where can people learn more about you and about uh, Master of Business Leadership online? Well, the only social media I'm on is LinkedIn, uh, but I'm happy if somebody wants to continue the conversation, I'll send you a link to my uh, my Zoom calendar, and I'd be happy to meet with them. 
Outstanding. We'll make sure and link that in the show notes. Phil, really enjoy having you on the show today. It's amazing what you're doing in emotional intelligence. And uh, yeah, I appreciate the, the work that you're doing. My pleasure. Thanks, Jeff. It's, a, it's an honor to be on your show. And thank you for the work you're doing. Thanks again, Phil, for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom and insights. Such a great topic. And EQ is something that we all need to continuously improve. It's one of those funny things. I mean, the more we have it, the more we see the need for it. And we want to continue to develop that, not just a one and done kind of thing, like check the box, more to it. Well, the best place to learn about Phil and connect with him is on LinkedIn. So be sure to check out his podcast also. It's called Master of Business Leadership. And uh, we'll link to his LinkedIn profile in the show notes as well. And all links, highlights, resources, show notes, everything you need are all available at sassfuel.com. And, you know, you can see everything that you hear and more on our YouTube channel, full episodes, training, shorts, outtakes, and quite a bit more. And share the podcast with a peer, friend, you know, super helpful for them and for us, too. It's really appreciated. Everyone who shares this week gets a Home Alone booby trap set. It includes safe versions of Kevin's most iconic traps. Just a little disclaimer, we're not responsible for any lost eyebrows or bruised egos another Christmas classic. So what is your favorite Christmas movie? We had a lot of them submitted last week. I'd love to, to hear from you. What is your favorite Christmas movie? And then Thursday, wrapping up this year, it's hard to believe, last episode of the year, we have LaShawn Smith, founder and investor at Kager Investments, like Kager, like compound annual growth rate, Kager Investments. He shares his journey from a software titan at Amazon and Microsoft to a master of business innovation, deploying $450 million in R&D and shaping tech for industry heavyweights. So join us as we unravel his unique blend of AI expertise, entrepreneurial wisdom, and his mantra for success is know thyself, make things, stay free. Solid way to cap off 2023. So I will see you next time. And as always, enjoy the journey. Be safe out there. Merry Christmas, y'all. Thanks for listening to SAS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sasfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.